Well, welcome everybody. Again, uh, my name is Derek, and um, if this is your first time today, or maybe it's your first time in a few weeks, uh, this is a, a great day to be here. We are wrapping up a series that we've been in called Dark Days, and we have been looking at this guy, David. He's one of the f- most famous people in the Bible. In fact, if you haven't spent much time in church, uh, you haven't spent much time reading your Bible at all, you're probably familiar with this name, David, because this is the David of David and Goliath. This is the David who would eventually be king of the Israelites. And um, he starts out with some tremendous early success. And that's where we began 2014 was the series called Full Throttle. And man, like we, we explored David's early days and he just had incredible success. But then he ran into some real dark days. So the current king of Israel, King Saul, became insanely jealous of David, who was this rising star through the kingdom of Israel. And David became so jealous that he actually started to uh, plot to take David's life and then multiple times actually physically tried to kill David. And it got so bad that, um, that David went on the run. And so in 1 Samuel chapters 20 through 30, roughly, we have David on the run from King Saul fearing for his life. And last week, if you uh, remember, we, um, we talked about how it got so bad for David that David tried all these different escape tactics and God was leading them all over Israel to, to flee from King Saul. It got so bad that David reasoned that the wisest thing that he could do, as crazy and as counterintuitive as it seemed, and we unpacked this last week, the wisest thing for him to do was actually to defect to the Philistines and, and take his men, his 600 men, and actually go and live in Philistines. Philistine territory. And uh, that's how bad it was. And so David was kind of this double agent. Like he should be like the first guy you see in the spy museum when you walk in because, because he's, he's, he's to the Philistines and to Achish, who was the son of the king. He's, David's like, oh yeah, I'm going out and I'm killing all these Israelis and it's so great. But actually he's killing the Amalekites and other enemies of Israel. And so David's kind of this, this double agent and it's really, really exciting stuff. And so What I want to do is kind of take you from last week to where David finds himself at this point. So David is living among the Philistines and the Philistines decide, you know what? We are going to go ahead and and advance on Israel and we are going to make a full on attack on King Saul and the Israelites. And so um, they advance to a place called Aphek. I think we've got a, a, a map behind me here. And so they march to Aphek to make this assault on Israel. Well, um, the Philistines are like, hey, come on, David. The king says, come on, you're going to come with us, you and your men. You know, you've been killing all these Israelites. Come on, and you're going to fight with us. So you've got this incredible scene where David now is actually coming and joining the Philistine ranks, and he's like, he's right there, and then the Israelites, and, and how's this going to go? What's David going to do? Well, right as they're about to go into battle, King, uh, so this guy, Achish, uh, the son of the king, he's all ready and he's, you know, David, come on, we're going to fight. But his, his generals, his men go, this is crazy. You, you can't, you can't be serious. These guys are Israelites. We're going to fight the Israelites. You can't trust them. You know, this is the guy that killed Goliath, a Philistine. Like, what are you doing? And so they say to Achish, you got to send David and his men back home. And so that's exactly what Achish does. And he sends David and his men back to Ziklag, which is the Philistine territory where they were settled. Okay, 55-mile, three-day journey, David and his men go on back 
to Ziklag while the Philistines go to advance on the Israelites. And that's where we pick up the story this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. If you guys want to join me and follow along, it says this. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. It's a 55-mile journey. It took him three days. Now the Amalekites, they were an enemy of the Israelites and the Philistines, the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. I want you to try and picture the scene for a minute as David and his men came back to this Philistine city where they had been settling now for over a year to find the whole city completely destroyed, burned up, and everything gone. First of all, they've traveled 55 miles to get to this point. So you can imagine they're already tired when they get there and they come to Ziklag to find that they have literally lost everything. They've lost all their possessions. They've lost their wives. They've lost their sons and they've lost their daughters. And it says there in that text we just read that they wept until they had no strength left to weep. And these were some strong, mighty warriors. So they were just totally exhausted with grief. And so here you have David. Okay, think about David for a minute, okay? So David is dealing with his own exhaustion from the journey, his own grief from having lost what he's lost. And then on top of that, he's got the guilt of knowing he's the leader of these guys. Like the whole reason that those guys are there, the whole reason that these guys have lost everything is directly related to the decisions and the choices that David has made. So he's got, on top of his own grief, he's got the guilt of knowing that the only reason that they're in this predicament is because of him. And then just to top it all off, as these guys are thinking about what has either happened or what may be happening right now to their sons and their daughters, they are so bitter in spirit, they, they are just beside themselves, that they're talking about stoning him. So he's got his grief, he's got his guilt, and then on top of that, they're ready to kill him. This is the lowest point in David's life to this point. It is his absolute rock bottom, his darkest day to this point in his life. And so in that moment, in the midst of just unbelievable darkness, it says these words, but David found strength in the Lord, his God. But David found strength in the Lord, his God. And I got to tell you guys, This is like a defining moment in David's life. In fact, this marks a dramatic turning point 
in, in how the whole deal goes and, and how life goes for David. You see, what happens is, after David finds strength in God in this moment, like, he's energized, he's got resolve, he mobilizes the guys, and they go and they pursue the Amalekites. They defeat them, and they recover all their possessions, they recover their sons and their daughters and their wives, and it's just this amazing turnaround that happens. And while that's going on, the Philistines are marching in on the Israelites and the Philistines kill King Saul and they kill like all of his sons that were next in line for the throne. And within a few chapters from this moment where it says David found strength in the Lord his God, David all of a sudden is king of Israel. Everything turns right here in this, these few words of verse six. But David found strength in the Lord his God. So I don't know about you, but as I was reading this, I was like, wow, this is so amazing what happened here. How did this work? How did David find strength? And so I, you know, I was ready. Okay, let me read on in the, in the, in the account here. How did David do this? Like, how did he find strength? What happened? Let, let's unpack this. How do I find that same kind of strength that David found when everything was crashing in around him? I want to know. And you know what? The text doesn't give you anything. It gives you nothing. This is all it says. But David found strength in the Lord his God. And then it's like, and then she went off and does all this amazing stuff. So it kind of leaves you going, what? Like, how? how? How do you do this? In your darkest day, in that moment where like everything is crashing in around you, how do you do that? What does that look like? Practically speaking, to find strength in God. Now, we don't have anything in this account in 1 Samuel chapter 30. But fortunately for us, David was a writer. And he wrote so many prayers to God that have been preserved in the Old Testament of the Bible. And many of you know that there's a book of Psalms in the Bible. And there's 150 different prayers, and many of them are attributed to David. In fact, to specific times in David's life when he wrote certain psalms. And I got to tell you, I wish that there was a psalm that was like so obvious that it was at the moment where he returned to Achish and like, you know, and his men had turned on him. And, and it was just so clear that we had this psalm that was like at that moment that he wrote it. We don't have that. Okay, we've got a lot of psalms. We're not exactly sure when he wrote them like what was going on in his life. But we have a lot of Psalms that David wrote, and it's so clear that he was in a really dark place. He was struggling, and he needed to find strength in God. And so I want to look at a Psalm that David wrote, Psalm 13. We're not exactly sure uh, which of David's struggles or which of David's dark days were taking place here. But um, this really gives you an indication of how David found strength in God. Because what you see in these Psalms and it's the most popular type of psalm. It's called the lament, okay? And there's a clear pattern. There's two things that you see so clearly going on when David is in the midst of some dark days and he's in the midst of the struggle when everything's crashing around him. There's two things you see in the psalm of how he finds strength in God. So we're going to take a look at Psalm 13. It's this great little psalm. It's only six verses long, okay? So it's really kind of easy to get an understanding of what's going on. And you'll see this repeated in so many other psalms, what's happening. So here's how David found strength in God as we look at Psalm 13. 
Okay. There's really two. I said there's two, two things. Okay. So the first thing and the, how do we find strength in God? How did David do it? The first one is this cry out. Okay. You want to fill that in? Feel free. Cry out. So we're going to look at Psalm 13 verses one through four. David writes, how long Lord will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. Then my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. So the first part that we see, the first way that David finds strength in God in his deepest, darkest moments is he cries out to God. And there's really two ways that you see this playing out, the the cry out, okay? The, The first way that we see here in the first couple of verses is the complaint. Now, we started this series four weeks ago, and John talked about the importance of pouring out your complaints to God. And that's exactly what David is doing here. Some of you that you, you know are not really much into church or you haven't really read a lot of your Bible, you can't even believe the audacity. Like this is actually in the Bible, okay? Right here, these first two verses. But here we see David and he's just like, God, where are you? How long? Are you going to forget me forever? I mean, this is crazy, God. Are you just going to let me die? Are you going to let my enemy just triumph over me? So I cannot tell you how important it is. If you weren't here for the kickoff of our Dark Days series, we talked about the importance of voicing your complaints to God, how important it is to cry out to God in that way. It is absolutely essential. In fact, for many of us in this room, um, and maybe you can relate to this, maybe you're at a place in your spiritual journey where you just kind of feel like you've, you've stalled out a little bit, like you know, maybe you were kind of highly motivated and fired up for God, at different points in your life. And maybe you just kind of feel like, I don't know why, but I just kind of feel like I'm spinning my wheels. You know, I'm not really feeling it. I don't really know, understand exactly why I don't seem to have this strong connection to this relationship with God. Now, if that's you today, I just want you to answer this question. Okay. Answer this question in in your own mind. Okay. Is there anything that has been frustrating you or has been confusing you that maybe you haven't voiced to God. Like maybe there's some things that's happened in your life and you've never really just had that just really real raw conversation with God, taking it up with God. There's actually a chance, I'm not saying it's, it's an every time thing if you're feeling kind of stalled out in your spiritual journey, but there's a good chance that if you're feeling that way, it could be because you've actually had some real frustrations that things haven't gone your way and maybe you've never voiced them, but, but there's a part of you that didn't want to kind of call God out on that, but really, you're really resentful to God. And you, instead of kind of voicing that to God and just really just complaining and crying out, what you've done instead is you just kind of buried that. Just, you know, I'm, I'm just, that's not appropriate. That's not, you know, I, I, that's not something that I can do. Well, here you go. This is, this is a, a prayer that is inspired by God that is in the Bible. The reason these prayers are in the Bible is to show us and teach us how we can pray, how we can be real with God. And so if you're here this morning and, and you know, maybe you've never done that before, 
that, that is an amazing step. That can, that can break barriers in your relationship with God. So I, I just want to encourage you to think about that. Have you really voiced your complaints, your frustrations? Have you taken them to God? So this is the first couple of verses. And then we see David after he just says, how long, you know, is this, where, where, are, you, where are you? And what's going to happen? Are you just going to let me die? Then he says, look on me and answer, Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. So the second part of this crying out is the petition. Okay. It's where, it's where he says, uh, so, you know, we've got the complaint and then we've got the, the petition. When David says, give light to my eyes, that back in the day, that was an expression. It was basically like, you know, if you, if your strength was failing, if you were sick or you were weak or whatever, your eyes would kind of be dim. You know, you wouldn't have that spark. You wouldn't have that fire. And so give light to my eyes was basically another way of saying, strengthen me, God. Come on, I, I need you to, to give me that boost. Strengthen me. And so there we see the two parts. And this is so, so important because you see over and over and over again how David finds strength in God is the cry out. Oftentimes it's a complaint. Sometimes it's not a complaint at all, but he just goes right into, God, strengthen me. God, help me. God, please, I need you right now. Deliver me. So, See where you are in that whole deal. In those moments, do you cry out? Either a complaint or by a petition, maybe both. That's the first part, cry out. The second part is look up. Look up. This is how David finds strength in God. First he cries out, and then he looks up. And this is so, so incredibly powerful. So he goes on. He's just basically poured it out to God. God, where are you? How did you forget about me? Where are, you know, please strengthen me or my enemies are going to overcome me. And then he says in verse five, he says, but that is so important right there. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Now remember, he's in the midst of his darkest days. Remember that. He's in the midst of total chaos. Everything is crashing down in front of him. And he just cries it out to God and he says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. You see where his focus is? I will sing the Lord's praise for he, this is incredible. He's been good to me. Is that just mind blowing? For he's been good to me. So what you see here, how David finds strength. Okay, David's a mighty man of God. Went through tons of difficult times. There's this pattern over and over and over again. How he finds strength is he cries out to God. Okay, let it all loose. Okay, you got to just be totally real with God. And then he looks up. He says, okay, God, now I'm going to shift my focus away from what I'm dealing with, away from my problems, and now I'm going to put my focus squarely on you and who you are and what you've done for me in the past, your goodness, your promises, even though I'm not experiencing them now, I'm going to set my eyes there. And David's strength in God comes from his focus on God in his darkest days. So this is all well and good uh, to, to talk about this thing, um, and, you know, David lived like 3,000 years ago, and you're like, okay, you know, that sounds really good, but when you're in the midst of just true, true dark days, 
it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to live it. And so what, I, what I'm going to uh, ask us to do now is I'm going to ask if, uh, if Tony and Cynthia, if you two would please come up and join me on the stage. Um, so we're going to kind of get a little setup going so they can get comfortable up here. Uh, Tony and Cynthia have agreed to share some of their individual stories. They have two very different stories of their dark days and, um, and what God has done in their lives and how they have found strength in God. And uh, one of the things that you have to hear very clearly, okay, because this is, this is really important, so, so don't lose me on this, all right? We're not going to get into like the full hashing out of all the darkness and like, you know, all the gory details of what was going on in their lives, because what, the power in this and what we're trying to get to is how did David find strength in God? How did Tony get, find strength in God? How did Cynthia find strength in God? So I'm going to give you just a quick background recap of exactly um, how that happened. What, you know, just to kind of give you the context, but we're not going to get into a big long thing about that because what I want to focus on is how Tony and, um, and Cynthia, how they found strength in God. Does that make sense? Everybody good there? Okay. So let me just give you guys a little bit of background. So, um, so Tony, um, five months ago, back in September, Tony was diagnosed with stage four throat cancer, found a lump in his neck. One day, actually, his wife noticed it, went to the doctor, and just within a week or so, found out that he had advanced throat cancer, stage four, and it actually spread into his lymph nodes. So this was a very, very serious advanced thing. And this, this was just a few months ago. Many of you guys saw him, the Team Tony t-shirts or different people wearing those Team Tony t-shirts, praying for Tony. This is Tony. This is the, the man right here. Um, so um, so that, was, that was Tony, and that was kind of the context for, for his dark days. And then Cynthia over here next to Tony. Um, so Cynthia actually leads our divorce care group at Grace, and her dark days were actually as a result of, of that divorce and just a really difficult time that, that Cynthia went through. Um, so, you know, she was married to her high school sweetheart, and uh, they'd been married for about 10 years. They had a nine-year-old daughter, and, you know, Cynthia is this, you know, committed Christian, dutiful wife, and then, you know, the next thing you know, she's in the midst of a divorce that she doesn't want, and um, she's going to, you know, just kind of talk about about the toll that took on her and, and then uh, how she found strength in that. So um, what I'd like to do, um, if we could, is uh, we'll go ladies first. So, so Cynthia, um, just tell us, is your mic on? You're good? Hello. Okay, very nice, very nice. So um, just tell us a little bit. Um, so you, you just heard about how David found strength in God, cried out, looked up. So tell, was, there, was there a crying out for you in the midst of, of that dark time? Just tell us a little bit about how that, how that went for you. So um, Derek mentioned to you guys that I was a committed Christian and my husband was a Christian. Um, And he just came in one day and said, I don't want to be in this marriage. So we had a daughter at that point. And so I I didn't even have a a frame of reference because the marriages I had seen in my family had lasted decades. So I didn't even know, I didn't even understand the whole divorce thing. But the, the, place that was the darkest for me was when I realized all that I thought that I understood about what God wanted my marriage to be was now in shambles. And I can't even explain to you the depth of that pain. Um, I say in our group, in our divorce recovery group, that 
it's worse than death sometimes, I think, because when the person is dead, you can mourn them, and then, you know, you can kind of go on with your life. But when a divorce happens, there is an ongoing struggle. And for me, it took me to a place that was so dark that I... Um, contemplated suicide. So when I just saw that scripture, my eyes will sleep, um, I contemplated suicide. And those of you all who know me now probably can't even imagine that. You can't even imagine that that would have been my story. Um, but I can remember a day that, um, you know, by this time my husband's gone, I'm literally sleeping on the floor, a mattress on the floor. And I couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, rolled off of this mattress one day. And I'm just crying. I'm crawling around on the floor. Literally. Literally Literally crawling on the floor. And I was like, God, I just, I can't do this. I can't. I can't even stand up. I couldn't even physically stand up. And I began to just cry out to God. God, you have got, you have got to do something for me. You have got to help me. And I began to crawl into my bathroom and I would, I took my hand one at a time and crawled up the side of my sink and turned on the water and began to wash my face. And I began to hear the Holy Spirit say to me, I am not finished. And I still, after that, I wanted to kill myself. And I heard one more voice that said, if you do that, who will take care of Lisette? That was my daughter. And that was the thing that saved my life. And so I washed my face. I got up and I began to read the word of God and, and meditate it on it. And um, I memorized one scripture at that point. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I began to read more about the word. I began to soak myself in the word of God. And during that time, I realized that God had a plan and a purpose for me. And I memorized my second scripture. So I will tell those of you all who say that, you know, um, I'm not sure how the Bible works in real life. Just find one word in the word of God to sustain you. And Jeremiah 29 and 11 reminded me. I have a plan and a purpose for your life, a plan to prosper you and not to harm you, even through divorce, not to harm you. When you don't know how you're going to feed your children, not to harm you, to prosper you. My son, who is here in the audience today, was going to go on a field trip. I didn't have 10 cents in my wallet, not one, literally not one dime. And I knew that I didn't want my child to be embarrassed at school because he didn't have, you know, money for the field trip where he didn't have lunch. And I prayed. I started like on a Monday. He was going to go on this field trip on Friday. And I said, God, you have got to do something because you said never have I seen the righteous forsaken or their seed. Sean is my seed. Never have I seen them forsaken. I drove into my driveway on that Thursday night, the day before he was going to leave, there was a check for $500 in my mailbox. I don't even remember to this day where that money came from, but I just remember God's faithfulness. And then finally, I'll just say that in the looking up, remember 
Romans 8 and 28. And if you don't know what that is, look it up. And I've been reciting this scripture my entire life. But this week, and probably maybe a day or so after Derek called me, I heard a minister on TV, and I had always been reciting it the regular way. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. But this minister said something to me, and it has resonated with me, and I'm going to leave um, this thinking and this thought with you. And we know that in all things, God is working for my good. It's because things don't really do anything. When he said that, I thought, you know, that is true. In all things, God is doing the work. In Cynthia, God is doing the work. And to this day, I'm friends with that person who divorced me. He calls me, you know, you know, we have a son together. I mean, I am really friendly. And I will tell you what I tell the people in divorce care. You have to forgive. You can be bitter or you can be better. It's only one letter, one letter difference. And I know that God had my back through those dark days. I now, you know, even now, this is 30 years later, you see, it still resonates with me when I think on the goodness of God, that he always has our back, and finally, trust God. Even when you can't track him, trust him. He always has our best interest at heart, and especially during those dark days. When you feel like you can't cry out, I had one of those come to God meetings, slobber, crazy, I mean crazy looking. (laughs) I was crazy because I'm like, God, I have served you my entire life. I don't even know anything but Jesus. What, What happened here? Trust God when you can't track him because he is faithful. Here I am now, 30 some years later, I walk into Derek's office one day and say, you know what? God said, we, we need a divorce recovery ministry here at Grace. And thanks be to God, uh, we started over a little over a year ago, and God has blessed, um, and people, are, I hope, are being healed and reminded that even in this situation, in this season in your life, it might seem like your darkest day, but God is ever faithful, ever faithful to keep you, protect you, love on you, and take you to that place in him where he desires. And I know that God has a plan for me, he has a purpose for me, and I'm willing to go through those dark days because in it all, he is working it out for my good. Amen. Thank you. So, so Tony. Never followed the Beatles. You're killing me. <laughs> Sorry, man. Maybe we'll switch it up at 11 o'clock. Um, <laughs> I just realized what you said. <laughs> so, um, so, Tony, just a few months ago, I mean, Cynthia's was 30 years ago. Yours was just, just very recently where you found out advanced, advanced cancer. Um, your crying out wasn't quite the same as Cynthia's, where it was really like how I was a committed Christian, you know, why God? And you know, it wasn't so much the complaint, but there was still a crying out. Can you tell, tell us a little bit about, about that. Sure. When the uh, surgeon uh, and I met, uh, he said to me, uh, he ran through a list of things, and uh, 
he, he mentioned uh, squamous cell carcinoma. And I said to him, did you just tell me I have cancer? And he said, you have stage four throat cancer. And at that very moment, I made the decision, okay, let, let's go. And I knew that God was there with me. I knew that going through this with God was the answer. Nancy and I approached it differently. She was afraid, understandably, that she was going to lose her husband of 30 years. But I said to her, I said, we are going to go through this with God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And this was cho- this challenge was chosen for us before we were born. And we are going to hang there with God. So with that said, uh, a couple weeks later, we met with the oncologist, and he's the guy who's going to be uh, administering the chemotherapy. And uh, he outlined the, his course of treatment. And uh, as we left the hospital, um, I had been through chemo uh, about 20 years before, so I had some a frame of reference. And as we left the hospital, uh, headed back to the Foggy Bottom Metro, uh, Nancy and I are walking hand in hand, and all of a sudden I stopped and, and broke down right there at 23rd and I uh, because I knew what was coming. I knew uh, the, the, the nausea, the vomiting, the, the burn marks on my arms. Uh, I knew um, when, when they hook you up to this uh, needle, the, on the side of the bag that they're, that they're putting into you, they write with a Sharpie, uh, poison. And I knew that that was coming, and I knew that I did not have the strength to handle that. But God sent scriptures to my mind. I am with you. I will not forsake you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That sounds familiar. I think I've heard that one before. That's that's the scripture verse that's on the back of the Team Tony uh, shirts that you were seeing, Philippians 4.13. And God said to me, call on me and I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. Jeremiah 33.3. And Nancy, at that moment, rose up and said, we are going to go through this with God. He is here with us. She was right. Mm. And uh, tell us about the, the what, what God kind of prompted Nancy with with the with the scar with the um, the surgical, the, what do you call those incisions? Right. So the the surgery was going. There were two surgeries, and the first was to remove all the lymph nodes from either side of my neck. Um, it was going to be a, a couple of six-inch gouges. And then the second surgery a couple of weeks later was to remove my uh, right tonsil, which was encased with tumors, and uh, parts of my tongue. So uh, we were pretty wigged out about what that was going to look like. And, of course, we Googled it. and That's not know, a good idea. No. 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 But... Uh, as Nancy was praying, I have her journal here with her permission, um, she was uh, asking God that I would be healed 
without the need for this surgery. And this is her prayer journal right this here? This is her prayer journal. And, and so um, I was all for that, right? Yep. You know, at this point, I didn't know if I was going to live or, live or die. And God said to her, these scars are my scars. For the rest of his life, when your husband is asked about his scars, he will give testimony to me. He will speak of walking through trials and tribulations of this fallen world with me. He will tell of my great love and how I hold my children in my arms. He will tell of my faithfulness. He will tell of my power. He will tell of how hurts and wounds befall all of mankind because of sin. But I am there to heal and forgive. And what I knew then was that I was going to live. Wow. I mean, you talk about being able to focus on God. You guys talked about, you know, scripture that helps you to keep focused on God, you know, but that word from God to just, to just stay focused on that. I mean, you talk about finding strength in the midst of those dark days. That is powerful. If you're not reading your Bible enough that scripture verses pop into your mind, you're not reading your Bible enough. And this is, this is God's direct word to us. And I found so much consolation virtually in every, every page where I would see God's mercy and faithfulness. And he would say, that's for you, which is the, the very consolation that I needed. That's amazing. And so here you stand. Give us, a, give us a, an update then on your on your situation, your cancer. So uh, the second surgery was December 13th. And uh, the, uh, the sur- I asked the surgeon what, what the recovery was going to be like. And he said, it's going to hurt like hell. And uh, he was correct. And uh, <laughs> after uh, uh, about uh, maybe a week after that surgery, Nancy and I went for the post-op visit, and uh, he said, comes into the room and he says, uh, I just got off the phone with the pathologist, and your margins, the air, they, they take out the cancer and they take out an area around the cancer as, as well to make sure they get everything. That's called the margin. And he said, your margins are clear. He said, we're done. Wow. He said, you are cancer-free. That's awesome. And now you get to show off those scars as a testimony. I have people uh, initially when they when the, the, they were open, I had lots of uh, horrified looks. But now I have people, uh, maybe they weren't looking at those. Um, I have, uh, <laughs> uh, it wasn't that funny. So <laughs> I have people say, what happened to you? What's, what's that? They point to my neck, and I tell them what God has done. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. Would you guys pray with me? We're going to close out the service. Um, Lord God, uh, just want to say thank you so much for what you have done in Cynthia's life and in Tony's life, God. I thank you um, for seeing them through their darkest days. 
for hearing their cries out, for hearing Cynthia just real and raw, lying on the floor asking why. Why did this happen? I thank you for honoring that and for giving her strength and for picking her up and for whispering to her and for setting her sights on you so she would have strength to make it through. I thank you, God, that she is not bitter, but she is better today. And we, we recognize that that's you, God, and that you have, have launched this amazing thing called Divorce Care at Grace where she can see how you have purpose for her life today and you redeem everything in our lives. God, we thank you for Tony and for seeing him and for seeing Nancy through stage four throat cancer, God, and for all those moments, God, where they just needed you. I thank you for hearing every single one of their prayers, God, and for giving them great faith to trust in you. God, I thank you for that word you gave them that Tony's scars would be your scars and that he'd be able to testify to your goodness, God. I thank you for every Bible verse you gave to Tony and Cynthia, that it was their strength in the dark times, God. And Lord, we know right now, sitting in this auditorium, there are so many hurts. There's so much pain. Every single one of us in this room has been through dark days. Some of us are right in the midst of it right now. And God, we need your strength. God, hear our cries and help us to stay focused on the ultimate source of our strength, which is you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.